0: For me, Zen uh, was, uh, uh, and I suppose still is, a gateway into what it is to be fully present with the moment and to find a way to be witness to the moment without being sucked into the moment. Mount Tremper, beautiful place. I was there when the founder was still alive. It felt like home in a sense. The teaching felt like home. Even the initiation process to becoming a formal student there, I felt like home. I...
1: Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Phypeson. And today, I am really excited to have Dr. Tom Ronan Goddard, a renowned expert in personal development, transformation, and coaching. And he's also got a significant background in mindfulness as well. In this podcast, we're going to explore the vast experiential knowledge, unique insights, and transformative experiences of Dr. Tom Goddard, and it spans several decades. I've known Tom, uh, quite a while, he's going by the name of Ronan now, and he can tell us a little bit about that because I think it really talks to his story from early life, his journey of self-discovery, transformation, and personal growth, and we're going to explore uh, his unique approach to integrating diverse fields of study, learning, and practice, which he's curated over a number of years from world-class teachers. We're gonna discuss his experiences and transformative journeys from head to body to slippery to authentic and prepackaged spirituality to an authentic and unique path. Dr. Tom Dotter shares his wisdom, his insights, and practical tips on cultivating deeper awareness, mindfulness and intention in this podcast we're going to explore how mindfulness practices can help us navigate the complexities of modern life and create deeper meaning purpose and fulfillment in our personal and professional relationships so join us as we dive deep into the mindfulness experience and explore what it means to live a life of intention awareness and authenticity ladies and gentlemen Please welcome Dr. Tom Ronan Goddard. All right. All right. All right. Ronan, Dr. Tom. Hey, 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 welcome, man. I'm so glad to have you here. (laughs) It's been way
0: too long since we last spoke, Keith. I am so glad, man. How are you doing? Doing great. Best, uh, best uh, time of my life.
1: Oh, best time of your. Well, wait a second. You and I are the same age, so it's the best time of my life as well. It really is. It's a, It's amazing when you get that wake up call that says you don't have to do. You can just be who you are.
0: Yeah, yeah. It took a while for me, at least, and uh, and now I just uh, I, I get to be. I get to be who I've always wanted to be, and it's it's pretty sweet.
1: That's that's uh, incredible. So you've had an an incredible journey. Uh, of self-discovery and transformation. I know you through several iterations. I know. I think I know you for probably about close to thirty years, maybe. You know, it's 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 like close to thirty years, and you're you are uh, uh, definitely one of my guru go-to people. <laughs> <Can you? laughs> Well, it's true. It's very true. You know, I I I seek inspiration from you, Ted. Can you share uh, a little bit about your journey and uh, what inspired you to, you know, sort of go off on a journey of self-discovery? Because you've had your own company, you've been involved in running retreats, you've been involved in this whole area of consciousness. You know. Maybe you can like share your whole life in one one or two sentences. How's that? How's that work? <laughs> oh, God, share my whole life in one or two sentences. Oh, uh, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, no, go I, for I, it. there's an old songwriter's
0: <laughs> trick that that rather than try to sh- uh, I think we would translate this way rather than share your whole life in one or two sentences. Share one or two sentences and see if you can see your whole life reflected in it. Ooh, so uh, it's a little a little easier to Ooh, get at it through weird. starting small.
1: Ooh, let's go for it. Do it. Go yeah. For it. So,
0: um, I think it's fair to say that I've been trying to figure out what was going on at the largest scale since I was about eleven.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, you know, I had I won't go into the details of that story, but I had this. A waking up uh, moment, facilitated by my uh, by my wonderful mother, in which I realized that um, there was a lot more to God or the biggest possible concept I could come up with than what was being handed out in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And once once that revelation came along, then everything started to unravel. It wasn't long, probably eight nine years before i discovered zen mm-hmm. and i dove deeply into meditation um uh, what i loved about zen was that it was uh, it was not about dogma which at, at 11 i realized was probably not the life for me mm-hmm. and then so i I, I dove deeply into Zen meditation. and At, I, at, at 11,
1: at, so you were 11 years old when you started? Oh, no, about 20, about 11, about oh, 11
0: no. is when I kind right. of... The, the, so
1: fast forward uh, from 11 to 20, you know?
0: Yeah, so yeah, I, I kind of wandered around in the wilderness, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, once the Fine. thread of dogma got pulled mm-hmm. and the sweater unraveled. Mm-hmm. And then I found myself um, kind of landing on mm-hmm uh mindfulness as uh, through the lens of japanese uh, mm-hmm. zen mm-hmm. and I, I i just went down that path for decades and mm-hmm. with with other important influences along the way uh mm-hmm. from other traditions but at my core i really was a practitioner of zen for probably until i was about uh 55 so mm-hmm. for a good 30 35 years that's how i kind of thought mm-hmm. about myself mm-hmm um and there was something refreshing mm-hmm. about a tradition that paid a whole lot more attention to just sitting and being with reality mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. on a particular set of beliefs i had to adopt and swear to and mm-hmm. you know a chant mm-hmm. with a chance we Right. We chanted, were hardly dogmatic.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, so Zen is, you know, uh, everyone kind of, you know, uses Zen sort of like, you know, you're very Zen or you're very... Mm-hmm. So what are like, what are we talking about with Zen? Because I, I know it is just a, a sense of presence, a sense of being, a sense of uh, being uh, content with or uh, accepting with what is. And sort of going with the flow is, you know, and 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 you know, uh, certainly Alan Watts in his famous book *The Watercourse Way* sort of talks about, you know, the the woo wee the 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 uh, understanding and feeling the energy of it. What's your definition of what Zen is? Hmm. Well, hmm. for me, Zen uh, was
0: a. Uh, uh, And I suppose still is a gateway into what it is to be fully present with the moment Hmm. and to find a way to be witness to the moment without being sucked into the moment or sucked into my emotional reaction to the moment. at least that's how it showed up for me. I, I, I studied for a, a, after years of kind of doing self taught Zen, you know, mm-hmm. read this book and that book. And I, I, my library is full of mm. books about Zen practice. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I stumbled across the, uh, a monastery in the Catskill Mountains called Zen Mountain Monastery.
1: Oh, yeah. Know it well. Yeah, yeah. Love that place.
0: Yeah. Mount Tremper, beautiful place. I was there. When the founder was still alive um -hmm. uh, daito roshi Mm -hmm. and uh uh, studied there uh, for about five years not in residence but i would go there regularly and had had a relationship with shugen sensei who i believe is is still a teacher there and um and it was it felt like home in a sense Mm -hmm. the the teaching felt like home the sitting felt like home. Even the discomfort,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the, even the initiation process to becoming a formal student there, which was really uh, quite intense for me, mm. um, was uh, felt like home. I, it was like, oh yeah, this is why I came here: is to sit in this cold cabin up on the t- up on the side of a mountain mm-hmm. with about three other students, mm-hmm. uh, would be mm-hmm. students um until my feet went numb and then standing up and walking out until walking around in the woods until my feet were no longer numb and then coming back in and sitting some more yo yo yo
1: yo wait a second tom this does not sound very inviting to people who are listening right now come on now
0: Ah, what is so
1: what is so like okay so like zen you know what's what's the invitation i mean you know why do that why oh well, why do that why why get so numb on your feet and why get so you know why as it sounds a little like deprivation
0: yeah well um the good news is that it wasn't deprivation it was and I have since learned I don't have to numb my feet mm-hmm. uh, okay. <laughs> I was right. I, that was a, a feature of my youth and enthusiasm and foolishness mm-hmm. um, it's certainly not necessary and in fact I um, my zafu is up on the shelf up here uh, seldom used I do all my meditation in a quite comfortable chair um in the morning and and uh, uh, so that was just part of my learning process I kind of thought that's what had to be done and I was you know in, in retrospect that was I kind of bought into a hidden not taught dogma uh, mm-hmm. that that I don't need to buy into anymore that's fallen away
1: hmm so i mean i always say you know we're human beings we're not human doings and yeah. i think what what i get from zen you know certainly from zen practice or zen philosophy is there's everything in the nothing there is a sense of there's the space in between the raindrops there's the silence underneath the sound there is you know this other 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 polarity that gives rise to the polarity that you may be may be Paying attention to, but there is this other polarity that underlies it. It's not always what people say. It's sort of like what is the undercurrent that gives rise to that wave, right. you know? And I, and and that's what I've gotten from Zen. You know, is the ability to kind of like see underneath the surface as to what is being said, not a, not the way people are saying it.
0: Yeah, and I, I think. I think that's what drew me. Um, And uh, in retrospect, I think that's what drew me in. I I wouldn't have said so at the time in my Mm -hmm. 20s, as I was first diving into meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, But in retrospect, that's what I was yearning for is a a shift from being a human doer to a human being. Uh, And, you know, here I am at 68. And just now starting to get really clear on how addictive to doing Mm -hmm. i have been and have been really since i remember anything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um there was a i grew up in a culture of achievement a a family of achievement where where you get the you get the girl by getting another doctorate you know i mean it was Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, and striving and focused and i would call line energy where you go out and you you go do something right. um, and that's you, you make something of yourself, you do something and and so much so in mm-hmm. my enculturation and, uh, and, and maybe even a part of my nature, I don't know, that that felt like I've I've had to do mm-hmm. in order to be even though my head mm-hmm. decades ago heard the teaching that you start with be, then you do and then you get get to have but i still i don't mm. think i bought into that until relatively recent in my uh, the development of my practice
1: mm. wow so you know you've really i mean to that point of doing you've done a lot haven't you you've uh, you ran your own company you've been a lawyer you've get, gotten involved in running retreats you know wh- what are some of the things that you've done and you know in terms of those things what are you know, maybe some of the highlights of, of things that you've really enjoyed uh, doing in your life. I mean, obviously, here you are, you're 68, as you say, and you feel like you don't have to do anymore. But looking back, I mean, and looking at where you're at right now, do you have a sense of that? I mean, I'd will I'll we I'd like to flush out your your background a little bit more so people know that you're not just a friend of mine, but you're someone who's, you know, really well accomplished.
0: Well, yeah. Well, I I I decided I wanted to be uh, at the ripe old age of eight. I decided I wanted to be a member of the U.S. Congress. Mm. I think there was a field trip. I was living in Northern Virginia at the Mm -hmm. time, and there was a Mm -hmm. field trip to the House of Representatives, and I Mm -hmm. sat down in a seat and I said, Ah, this is what who I want to be. Mm -hmm. Someone who sits in this seat.
1: Mm. How, How did that? Now you weren't in Congress, were you?
0: I know, but that's what I decided at 8. Thank God, otherwise
1: you may not be on the show.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. At 8, I decided that's who I wanted to be. And so then the next 25 years, every uh, step I took educationally and professionally was single-minded with that 8-year-old's dream in mind. Mm -hmm. That meant going to law school Uh, because when I sat down in 1963 in that seat in the House of Representatives, uh, most of the people in Congress were lawyers. I thought, well, so I'll be a lawyer. I had no particular interest in being a lawyer, but I wanted to be a congressman, so that's what I did as a prerequisite, at least in my young mind. And uh, so I did that, and then my my plan was to uh, work as a lawyer for no more than five years and then get into politics and then from there get some experience with that and then run for office so after two years as a lawyer i Mm -hmm. um i got hired by the governor of arizona bruce babbitt and i Mm -hmm. you know did almost two years with him and that was great i mean Mm -hmm. it was just great Mm -hmm. he was great The, the people i worked with were great the work i was doing um with uh um uh, there was a variety of wonderful topics i was able to tackle both environmental and dealing with uh, uh, how the justice system and schools uh are are not well adapted to handle uh the troubles of teenagers all sorts of wonderful topics that i felt like yeah we're doing good in the world and then my career wandered through public policy for a few more years i set my own consulting firm political consulting firm and did that for a couple of years and then i ran for office i ran for pima county supervisor in oh, tucson really? arizona
1: wow. oh wow i didn't and, know uh, that. Was 1988
0: wow. and i got my butt kicked uh-huh. by uh, a guy who had been a republican uh senator uh at the state level uh for five terms and Um, We ran a very civil campaign. That's when such things actually happened. I actually liked the the guy. He was a moderate Republican and I was a moderate Democrat. We had civil debates about reasonable issues and um, there was no culture war at all. It was about do we do comprehensive planning? How do we do comprehensive planning for the uh, metropolitan area of Tucson? Really, how do we deal with water rights? Great stuff. I enjoyed that piece of the running for office, but then I After a few years in it, I realized, oh, it's the money that's the problem. Mm. Um, I got to see that when I worked for the governor. I got to see even with uh, very high minded individuals, the Mm. really it it seemed to be improper role of money Mm -hmm. in the way things were done uh, in the best possible administration. And I could only imagine. Uh, uh, lesser humans than mm-hmm. the, the ones I was involved And this with.
1: is back in the 80s, right? Yeah, when, yeah when the dream it was. was good, the right? Early the dream to mid-80s
0: is when I was doing that politics. Yeah. And then, so, I, uh, um, so uh, I, I kind of gave up on the dream of being an elected official. I didn't like raising money from my friends when I ran for office myself. It was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is awful. Yeah. yeah, but money
1: makes the world go round. Money oh, makes God, the world around, it. a mark, a, 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 mark a, a fin, a, what is it, a mark, a fin, a, a, a Dutch or a pound or something oh, like oh,
0: that? Oh, yeah, money made... yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, I can just hear Joel Gray singing it That's now. That's right, yeah. You know, right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I wandered around aimlessly for a while, and then I found a, 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 a human development training, mm-hmm. um, no longer in business, called Lifespring. mm mm-hmm. And I did all of those trainings because that was the first time I'd ever That was
1: understood. like a uh that was like a spin off of uh landmark forum or uh Well it was
0: like first cousin. They kinda grew up together.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: Est and Lifespring kinda grew up together and then LiveSpring kind of uh, fizzled out as LiveSpring. There's still a bunch of LiveSpring trainers out there doing LiveSpring trainings, but they don't call it that anymore. The business is no longer there. Right. Uh, but yeah, Est is. Uh, I never did Est or Landmark or right. Forum. But I, I, the folks I know who've done both said right. they're very very similar, and some of the processes are even similar. Right. Outside of Zen, it was the first time that experiential learning mm-hmm. was at the fore. Um, uh, I was at the foreground mm-hmm. and I loved it. I thought, oh, experiential learning. This mm. is astonishing. And at first I thought, well, I'd just be a Lifespring trainer. Mm. Uh, and I started to explore what that might look like. And I went, oh, I backed away from that as soon as I looked at the life of Lifespring trainers, mm-hmm. uh, because they were on the road three weeks out of every four. Mm-hmm. And I had two young boys at home. Um, and a uh, beautiful wife and I uh, decided, no, this is not a good time in my life to be out of town three out of four weeks so I, I got to th- rethinking my life and said, well, there maybe I could do this sort of work uh, elsewhere, maybe mm-hmm. in organizations, and so I went back to school, I decided to become a psychologist mm-hmm. um, so I went back to school and got a doctorate in psychology mm-hmm. with an idea that I would work with organizations mm-hmm. And uh, well, you know, um, what's the the Yiddish expression? Uh, man, um, man plans, God laughs. Man plans, God laughs. Right. And so, uh, my life took some interesting detours. I became a general counsel and vice president of a health plan, and then I became the chief operating officer and general counsel of a healthcare accreditation company, and then I mm-hmm. started my own healthcare consulting firm, all at the same time. Mm-hmm that I discovered a place that you know well, Shalom Mountain, a retreat center in the Catskill Mountains, where you and I met. Mm -hmm. And um, and, and that was like a life spring in in that it was body focused, but it seemed much deeper, Mm -hmm. much deeper, and even had the potential to Mm -hmm. access transpersonal realms, realms beyond my personal self.
1: Yeah, so let me ask you. Uh, let's let's stop there for a moment. So you've got this. Uh, you've got this really wonderful analytical uh, background that really you know starts out with being a lawyer, really discerning and being able to, you know, like dive deep and do the research and really look at the law and what the valid validity of arguments might be one way or the other, measuring both, but yet seeing both sides of the argument. Uh, and then weighing whatever it might be. Uh, but you bring that into the world, and then you start on your path. You do this Zen work, you incorporate that into your work, your sense of presence, and you recognize that there's something missing. And you do this work with life. Spring. You start to look at your life, and you start to go ahead and uh, shift your attention into psychology, into a whole other area of you know, your your life, if you will. And now you're talking about shalom. I often struggle to go ahead and explain the shalom process. Mm-hmm. And why and what I normally do is I say, well, it's a combination of core energetics, psychodrama, and transpersonal work using holotropic breath work and a lot of other modalities in terms of being seen, heard, recognized in a very safe container for the community. Now there is a lot there to unpack. How would you describe it?
0: Hmm. It took a long time before I had any language for what it was at all. But I think I think I've got at least one way of describing it. Um and it, it may be a whole paragraph, so, so bear with me. Mm-hmm. Um each of us, each human has experienced um very often as children under seven and uh, very often after that, but I think more intensely when we're young and still in this kind of nascent development, sometimes in the womb, Mm -hmm. um, the uh, things that are too much to process, Mm -hmm. they're overwhelming, you know, uh, and it it doesn't have to be abuse, but for too many people it is.
1: It could be implicit or explicit uh, trauma
0: right yeah it, it doesn't even have to be explicit trauma I had a relatively by all standards uh trauma-free life mm-hmm. except for being a little too skinny and a little too small and a little young for my grade and mm-hmm. kind of the object of a lot of bullies attention but you know no, nothing
1: hey 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 come on now come on you're <laughs> you're good you're good here yeah it's... Yeah.
0: no I I I I uh, uh I had a great life mm-hmm. a great childhood but he but uh, I knew I had these kind of experiences or I know now that I had these experiences that were too much for me to process in the moment. Mm -hmm. And what we tend to do is to kind of say, I'm not going to process that now unconsciously. And we just stuff it in our Mm -hmm. subconscious, which is to say we stuff it in our bodies.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: In this modality that you're describing at Shalom and core energetics. Mm -hmm. Um, the body keeps store the body keeps the score as the book Mm -hmm. title says and uh so what shalom and core energetics um, Mm -hmm. and other similar modalities are attempting to do is through breath and movement and some but not much conversation Mm -hmm. find those blocks that Mm -hmm. make our presumably whole selves into little multi-chambered rooms with walls all over the place, mm-hmm. isolating parts of us, right. and to find those walls and with breath energy movement and some conversation, uh, hopefully soften and maybe even dissolve those walls.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 So, so the really... strong
0: process does that in community. Mm-hmm.
1: So really in that process to be able to go ahead and bring those parts those exiled parts into the conversation or into the room to go ahead and let them be seen, let them be heard, let them be recognized. And in some cases, let them be, um, uh, let them be examined, uh, through the process of psychodrama reenactment, using emotional literacy uh, as a way to go ahead and reset, reframe, reboot our experience so that we can go ahead and go into the world, uh, kinder nicer gentler peace people that love ourselves more than perhaps we did going into it
0: right and love is right at the heart of it love and intimacy interestingly mm-hmm. are at the heart of it
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, uh, one of my teachers uh, mark goffney has put it this way when, when i asked him to talk to me about the shalom process i described it to him in detail here's what we do thursday night here's what we do friday saturday sunday morning i walked him through it and he said well It strikes me that each human has a crisis of intimacy, a unique crisis of intimacy where we are separated in a unique way from the whole from the all that is whatever Mm -hmm. name you want to give to that Mm -hmm. from the all that is including our own bodies Mm -hmm. and the Shalom process is designed to help to mend that rift in intimacy. By simply flooding the participants in intimacy, and by intimacy, I don't mean um, rolling in the hay. I I mean Mm -hmm. uh, encountering in an intimate way who I am, who my what my body is, what I'm feeling in my body and my Mm -hmm. emotions, Mm -hmm. and using that as a doorway to intimacy with other beings and to intimacy with the all that is. Mm
1: -hmm. Into me see, to be seen, heard, and recognized as you are and for whatever your story is. So let me ask you, you, you've got these diverse fields of study, you had your own company, you worked with individuals, and you're uh, actually going back to Shalom doing retreats now as well still, and you work with people on an individual level. So my question is, is from your view of, uh, you know, looking back at this experience and being present with your sense of presencing, yeah, you know, your sense of like being present with people, what are some are, uh, well, let me ask you first, what do you think about, how do you integrate these diverse fields of study? and practice to create an integral approach to personal development?
0: Hmm. I would say a few years ago, I would have had a very intellectual answer for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, You know, I'd probably cite Ken Wilber and and, uh, weave in all sorts of integral theory in there. And Mm -hmm. how do I integrate it now is that anymore, I've just absorbed it so much that i now am simply present with the people i work with in core energetics um in core energetics that you know there are these five characterological structures that date back to wilhelm reich uh and uh, have been filtered through uh, his de- uh, psychological descendants and bioenergetics and core energetics and then but what they say even in core is to learn the five characterological structures that People grapple with and then forget them and just be with your client. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that is truer and truer for me. I mean, well, you you and I both know um, uh, some of the same leaders at Shalom. And when I was first in training to lead retreats at Shalom Mountain, I uh, I thought, Wow, Lawrence must have a bag of tricks. Mm. And you know, how do I develop that? intellectual expertise to know how when presented with this kind of situation and with a retreatant, to do that particular technique, and then to play that song at the end of that experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then what I've come to know with experience and um, uh, is that I need to let go of all of that in order to be fully present, and let the mere presence with the individual or the room, or with myself, inform what is next, in in a a spontaneity that I only dreamed of having access to when I first started reading about spontaneous action in the Zen texts that I was studying in my 20s. I didn't even understand acting spontaneously as I do now 40 years ago. And so now my clients show up or my retreatants show up um, and then... Uh, i have a basic structure uh, i know we want to do some breathing and i know we want to be present with each other and there may be certain forms that come into play but i hold all of them very very lightly
1: mm-hmm. um, so there's so something so there's insane. something there's something that you're saying that you're not saying and i you know i it it it's it's sort of um it's maybe sort of difficult to grasp for me, or maybe for the listeners to kind of get to, you know, what it is that you're talking about, because to me, it's sort of like trying to describe the wind, you know, you, you know, it, 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 there's a sense here of intuiting, of, of being present to whatever the whispers are, whatever, you know, is coming up for you at the moment and following that, like that muse it sounds like it's not about you know the intellectual patterning and all the foundational work i think is there but that's really sort of the the river that really or the 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 river bed that really holds and supports the river or the flow of the water which is really in the presence of the relationship
0: i that's beautifully put uh, keith the um You know, right up there on the wall at Shalom, it says, More than anything else, we want to love and be loved. First principle of loving. Mm -hmm. Been up on the wall for decades. Mm -hmm. And I think I start, I know I start there with myself and with whoever walks in the door and whoever I encounter. Mm -hmm. And the corollaries to that are more than anything else, we want to see and be seen, hear and be heard. And so all I do now, is radically see as radically see uh, as i can see Mm -hmm. radically listen um and and listen not just to the words but to the music to the whatever energy i feel Mm -hmm. is bouncing around the room Mm -hmm.
1: Um, right now that that is very different that is very different than a clinical uh, analyst uh, someone who is going into working with a client, perhaps a therapist, oh. you know, and, and within that context, uh, sort of, you know, coming up with a DSM, uh, analysis in terms of what's going on in terms of, you know their case, and how do I build this on my insurance? And what do I do? Right. You've you know, just uttered
0: the my least favorite three-letter word DSM, the <laughs> Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. I've Exactly. Uh, yeah. It is uh, to me. Uh, I have because I've, as you've said, I've had. I've worked with organizations. I still am uh, the titular head of a consulting firm in healthcare that works with mm-hmm. some of the largest healthcare companies in the world. Right. Um. And uh, so I know that system pretty well. Mm-hmm. And to me, the DSM is a tool of that system, not a tool of care. Um, uh, uh, not nearly as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 it, it's really about money. We, mm-hmm. We're back to money, making mm-hmm. the world go round. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's very helpful for insurance companies to figure out what they're going to pay for and how much right. they're going to pay.
1: Right, right. A but within the context of what you're talking about, I mean, it's a very different model, right? Because here you're not really relying on the on the clinical, on the analytical, on the you know classification of somebody's issue or somebody's you know. Uh, uh, break, if you will, you know, you're really sort of looking at the individual and you're kind of moving in a lot further. Um, you know, it reminds me of the work that I've been doing around uh, psychedelics, you know, because what happens with that individual is they go on a journey, right? And, you know, I I like to think about the work that we did uh, at Shalom as individuals going out on a journey, having a journey and uh, being able to go ahead and go deep dive deep into the you know into for the for, for the pearls and really kind of come face to face with their shadow and really come face to face with the darkness but it's that individual that's doing the work you're not sure. walking or talking them through it you're there your presence for them and you're you're really using you know a therapeutic presence and really kind of helping them to mirror or helping them to see what it is that there is coming up for them if they want that guidance. And I'm wondering from your experience upon, you know, doing, the, doing this work and you continue to do that work with individuals, what your sense of this sort of hero's journey is, the Mat work is the psychedelic work is as individuals sort of go into their mindfulness state, go into a state of being present for themselves, all of the parts of themselves, and uh, you know what is that about? Because there's, you know, it, it's 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 difficult work. It's not it's not the analytical work. It's not the talk. Show up and throw up, right?
0: Right. Well, and I think the reason it's difficult uh, for so many of us is that we have not received much training or had much practice in radical presence with each other. We actually don't know much or with ourselves. We don't know much about how to do that. And uh, certainly in my training, it has taken me a good long while to uh, let go of what I thought I should know, or thought I knew, and to be fully present in a moment. Um, um, uh, David White has a line in one of his poem- poems that uh, leave everything you know behind, hmm. leave everything you know behind. And, um, and for somebody who spent decades uh, under the the model that I was going to shove a bunch of stuff in my head and then charge people mm. to extract it from my head, it's a very different thing. In fact, the, my body has become a very different instrument mm. than I thought it was. Uh, I, I I I spent years, decades, thinking that my body was primarily a, a very helpful way to 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 nourish and move around the world. My my head. Mm-hmm. Which contained the most important thing, my brain,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and now I'm realizing that I, I that story is wrong and, in a sense, crippling. Mm. That my my uh, consciousness resides throughout my body and particularly in my belly, as the you know the the, the Taoists knew 2,500 years ago. Mm -hmm. um and as the zen practitioners have talked about and as so many traditions have talked about uh, Mm -hmm. the 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 mind that is in our bodies and that's Mm -hmm. that's the mind that I try Mm -hmm. to tap into so much more all the time not just in my work but in my in my meditations I'm I used to spend a lot of time with my meditations focusing on this skull Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, or what was going on inside of it and now I I pay a whole lot more attention to what's going on in my lower chakras uh, Mm -hmm. to use that system um, and what I'm feeling in my body and what what I'm feeling with my body in the space around me.
1: Mm -hmm. So on a somatic level you know I, I like to use the term you know a feeling mind thinking body and that whole idea that you know are the not not only does the body keep the store but if you ask the questions like what's going on for me you know like just a simple question you know where am i you check in to see what condition your condition is in right, right. that whole concept of doing that and what it sounds to me like the work that you're doing uh not only is a lift off from this work at Shalom, the somatic work, the ability to go ahead and presence, to have this therapeutic presence for individuals and to really kind of be a a whisperer of sorts to help people to see their own experience uh, so that they can go ahead and own their story. Um, you know it's 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 incredibly powerful. How can, you know, individuals use things like mindfulness practices? To navigate some of the complexities of modern life and create some deeper meaning, maybe some purpose, some fulfillment in their personal or their professional relationships. What do you What do you think is is, is there a is there an opportunity to do that? And do you think that that is one of the keys, or are there others?
0: Well, oh, that's one of the keys. Um, just this week, I was uh, uh, exploring with a client why she was having trouble accessing. Um, kind of an emotional, I was asking about emotional response and where she felt a particular emotion in her body. And it was clear from her answers that she didn't really have, or hadn't in a long time, Mm -hmm. had much access to it. She remembered having access to it in a different part of her life, but didn't have that access anymore. Mm -hmm. So uh, we talked about meditation. And she said, right, I used to do that.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I used to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, uh, in in that sense, mindfulness is really powerful for some people to get reconnected, (laughs) remember, you know, reassemble our members Mm -hmm. um, with uh, our emotions and with our bodies. We stress so much our thoughts and the the jibber-jabber that goes on inside our heads. And mindfulness helps to quiet that jibber jabber, mm-hmm. so that we can he- feel our emotions, feel that those emotions connections to our body. And in doing that, open up a whole world of connection to what we're here on the planet for. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, who I want to be with, how I want to be with that person over there, because if I can connect to my emotions, um, through among other practices, mindfulness and meditation, then I I believe that I will have a greater capacity to be in contact mm-hmm. with the reality of the person I'm sitting across mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, who are they really? And not get caught up into a back and forth between two mm-hmm. uh, minds jabbering at themselves and each other, um you know for all sorts of reasons uh you know self-affirmation achievement uh, impressing you with what i know all of that stuff mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. really tuning in using this as an instrument, this body as an instrument to help tune into your being mm-hmm. as an instrument and s- set aside at least for a moment the uh, thinking brain the mm-hmm. the doing brain and actually be with mm-hmm. jerry judd the founder one of the co-founders of of uh, shalom mountain once took me aside when he was a young man of about 93.
1: Mm-hmm. he lived
0: to be just shy of 100. Mm-hmm. He, he was a young man of 93 mm-hmm. he said i want to give you a gift my friend mm-hmm. gift is the word with mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and And that that gift has been working me for the last decade. Mm. What is it to truly be with somebody? And it cannot be done, in my view, uh, by thinking about being with or by talking about being with. Mm -hmm. there's There's a withness that requires the engagement And uh, the relaxation of all that thinking and talking, internal and external, and allowing the whiffness to emerge in the energetic space of my own body and and the space between us.
1: Well, that's part of the challenge, I think. And I really appreciate that answer. I think that's part of the challenge of where we're at, you know, with the Zoom culture. I mean, we're, you know, I was with a client earlier today, myself, and, you know, I'm became aware you know he was talking about uh, his therapist uh another therapist he's working with and he said you know and he shared something with me and i he said well uh you're the only person i've shared this with and i said well you know really and he said yeah well the other therapist i'm working with i i see them on zoom i've been talking to them a lot longer but you know i just don't have a connection you know and there's something, I, I I talk about the smell, it's a smell, it's a, it's a, you can smell it, you can feel it, it's a, it's a spirit, you know, and I use breath, the root word for breath, the spear in Latin, you know, I use that word as in spirit, as an in inspire, as an in aspire, as an respire, as in perspire, as an expire, it's a, it's within that, or a conspire, which is actually a good word, right, within the context of of sharing. Um, do you see emotional intelligence playing a role in? I'm in the
0: middle of a thunderstorm here in North Carolina.
1: Oh, okay, all right. So and
0: our uh-huh. internet connection is unstable. Apparently, this is a lively topic. Uh- <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you got <laughs> did you, that. But did I, you
1: lose? Did you lose half of my conversation <laughs> I,
0: I, I, about the last ten seconds? There's uh-huh. this wild thunderstorm going on outside here and the little sign your internet uh, connection is unstable just as you're talking about the limitations of zoom uh, exactly. you know it's
1: perfect it's perfect yeah, it's totally perfect yeah so uh, you know i mean that whole idea of us uh, sharing and conspiring and i use that root word of breath as spear yeah, as in inspire or aspire expire and conspire i mean conspiring is something that people do it's not necessarily a bad thing it's something that they you know, they can breathe and they can feel and they can smell what's going on for other folks. You know, you can walk into a room after an argument and you can smell and feel the negative energy in the room. You know, you can just, it's just a part of it. And my, my follow-up to that was, you know, do you, what, what, what role do you think emotional intelligence plays within the construct of, you know, uh, like having that And do we, are we, are we being dumbed down in some way, you know, like with Zoom and technology and just being dumbed down to the point that, you know, we, 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 you know, we're just relying like on AI, you know, Mm. on artificial intelligence. So I think there's this, this emotional intelligence and the aspect of being able to create, you know, not only good leaders, but, you know, personal and professional success in terms of building strong relationships.
0: It's so um, wonderful that you're talking about uh, emotional intelligence in this context. I, um, when I was uh, in graduate school for psychology, um, I, I wrote a, a major, one of the larger questions on my comprehensive exam was about emotional intelligence, and I it was a take home exam, a week long take home exam, and I was able to dive deeply into the research of Salovey uh, and meyer and caruso who kind of came up with the modern use of the term
1: yeah out of yale Yale, i I did that program as well yeah yeah
0: yeah i studied with caruso and and uh david uh, david
1: David caruso beautiful man yeah
0: oh fantastic stuff and i love what they brought to that field um and again they're just because they're um they're in that model of testing, you know, they came up with their own scale of one of oh, probably a half a dozen emotional intelligence scales. Um, they had to kind of operationalize what they were talking about. Useful in the world of Western science, but again, like the core energetics, characterological structures or any of these other models, Ken Wilber's integral theory model, at a certain point, we need to let go of the model and just be with each other. Now, what I think the value of emotional intelligence research has done is it's exposed us to the multiple, multiple dimensionality of emotional intelligence. It's, there's a lot to it, as you learned in your training, and I learned in mine. Um, there's, I mean, can I read my own emotions? Can I read your emotions? Can I detect uh, you know, all sorts of dimensions to it? Um, and so it, it it really is like a finger pointing at the moon that, to use the old Buddhist expression that it's great to gesture in that direction, there's much to be learned in that gesture. But again, we have to take the model, learn it and then let it go. Hmm. Um, because it really is about emotional intelligence. Now how it applies in the in person versus zoom, it's kind of interesting to me, to me, it's all about intimacy. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, there is a way that being on Zoom is in some ways more intimate and in some ways much less intimate. It's more intimate in that we seldom have conversations with people where they're just, you know, their face is right in front of us for an hour,
1: right, right, right.
0: you know? It just doesn't, real life in-person interaction doesn't work that way. So in a sense, and very often it's a closer view than than we would get sitting across the room from a friend and chatting. Uh, listening to music and all, being aware of the ambient Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. factors of the room we're in. But we're just like right here. So in that sense, there's more intimacy. And I've been able to do an awful lot of good work, as I know you have, in this medium. But then, you know, I've now recently moved to North Carolina, and I've started to explore uh, workspaces where I can work with my local clients in person. And oh, what a joy and relief that is mm-hmm. to actually be able to touch each other. Because mm-hmm. there's a part of my work that, of course, with consent can involve touch. Mm. There's so much information. Just when I'm when I facilitating breath to put my hand on my, my client's belly, mm. there's so much information there that yeah. is like, oh, oh, that's going on. I mean, we, you've seen this in Shalom retreats that very often a part of the, the uh, breathing facilitation at the beginning of a piece of individual work at Shalom involves the, the retreat leader actually lying down heart to heart across the body of the participant for at least a little while and facilitating breathing. Mm-hmm. You can actually, if you do that enough, you can start to feel that, as you put it, the smell. Mm You can actually start to detect the smell, the emotional fragrance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of the other person. And that's certainly I I, I love working in that in person space and Mm -hmm. and hope that right now it's it's more like 80% online and 20% in person. It's my aspiration to move more and more to in person because it's a it's a richer field in which to play. Now, zoom, of course, has wonderful advantages, right. um, folks who are, have social anxiety, it's a, it's a safer place for them. And so, you know, we have, I have a client who who um, is probably gonna be real com- more comfortable with this than ever getting mm-hmm. together with me mm-hmm. in person. And that's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. I can work with people anywhere in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And
0: do great work as I know you do. Um, and, and so I, I, I'm not dissing Zoom, but it's a, it's a very different kind mm-hmm. of intimacy with advantages on both sides and disadvantages on both sides. Yeah,
1: I think, you know, uh, to that point, I think it's allowed us to go ahead and reach more people and allowed more people to show up and allowed more people to get together without the sort of clumsiness or the social awkwardness. You know, and uh, yet at the same point, it uh, because of the intensity sometimes, it doesn't necessarily get all of the uh, attention, you know, that... It might get if you were in a retreat with someone who was, you know, emotionally uh, having a challenging time and needs to go ahead and be seen, be heard, be recognized, and you know have something come out of them that may not come out of them because of the, you know, because of the buffer, if you will, that 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 Zoom holds. So, right. Uh, so yeah. So I, I I thought it was important, uh, Ronan, to. Uh, see I'm adopting the name I've I've got I'm I'm good I'm good everybody who's known
0: me for more than 10 years as you do gets a pass on the Ronan Tom split yeah yeah (laughs) either way on that
1: so I you know I don't want it to be the last uh, part of it but you did adopt this new name this uh, because I know you as Tom Goddard and you've now got this new name Ronan and it's new to me but you told me earlier that you've had this name for quite a while it's a spiritual name can you speak to that for a moment yeah
0: it's it's hebrew for song or in the hyperbolic uh words of uh, one of my teachers mark Offney, uh thunderous song of god i i just think song is plenty mm-hmm. um you know i, I grew up uh, the child of people who met in music school and mm-hmm. a musician myself and who has born two children who mm-hmm. are music, professional musicians and so uh, uh but there's a uh i i've As I've moved into this part of my life where I'm moving away from selling my brain, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, which is what I've done for almost half a century, uh, to really more engaging with my heart, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, song seems to more appropriately fit Mm. who I have uh, evolved into.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. It's certainly, uh, you know, years ago, I was given the name uh, by uh, Sa- Swami Sachikananda of uh, Shunya, and it's really short for Shunyata. And uh, of course, I got this name. I was so proud. I got the name and, like, oh, it's nice. It's Shunya, Shunya. And I said, well, you know, what does it mean? And they said, well, it's actually short for Shunyata. And I said, well, you know, what's that mean? And they said, well, it really means zero, nothing. And I was like, "Huh? So you're you've got this beautiful song, you know, and I've got nothing. All right, <laughs> so you know, I'm I'm like in awe of that of that of that explanation. And uh, you know, I've I've since come to really really appreciate the name because it really is you know about uh, having a presence or having. A sense of coming back to the moment because you know at the end of the day it's all nothing and it's meaningless and it's meaningless that it's meaningless so it's yeah. <laughs> beautiful that's beautiful <laughs> and i've
0: i've i've come to have a very sweet appreciation for emptiness mm-hmm. um that i i because i also was deep in the world of emptiness in my years as a mm-hmm. zen practitioner uh, it was like, oh, I don't know that I like the feeling of this. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm taking some solace, Keith, in the findings mm-hmm. of quantum physics, or at least mm-hmm. the theories of quantum mm-hmm. physics, uh, who tell us that even in the, the emptiest vacuum of space, mm-hmm. we have this quantum field that is pure potential, in mm-hmm. and out of which quarks pop mm-hmm. into existence and then mm-hmm. reabsorb back into this apparent vacuum. And that that serves for me as a metaphor for the fullness of emptiness.
1: Mm-hmm. and
0: So I have finally presented potential. this term yeah, that has tormented me for decades, this emptiness. Was, so I'm glad to I meet you, it. Mr.
1: Emptiness. I, I love that. <laughs> I love that. So as we uh, sort of wrap it up over here, uh, Ronan, uh, Tom, Dr. Goddard, um, I'm wondering, uh, you know, where do you think we're going uh, uh, from the standpoint of, well, Let me ask you, if someone is just listening to this for the first time and they want to find out more about how to go ahead and have you know, personal experiences or deal with their trauma or presence, what's going on, or be seen, be heard, be recognized, a lot of the things that we've talked about here, what would you say to them in terms of maybe places they could go to, maybe even on your website, maybe some other places that they might what would your advice be for them you know because obviously you know we've just taken you know close to a, an hour here and you know there's only so much you can get out of you know a lifetime in an hour but i'm just wondering how people can go ahead and you know continue on with their journey given our conversation
0: um well certainly the the places that we've mentioned mm-hmm. um you know shalom mountain is uh, if you're anywhere Mm-hmm. Uh, they can get to the Catskill Mountains, uh, a beautiful place to to do this kind of work, or at least to start this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, individual, I think working with an individual practitioner who deals in any of great uh, somatic oriented modalities like core energetics or bioenergetics or mm-hmm. somatic experience or uh, Hakomi, mm-hmm. uh, all of these are getting at relative, basically the same kind of orientation. The reason I like core energetics is that it is kind of bioenergetics plus a recognition that there's a spiritual dimension to humanity. That's why right. I've gone into that direction in my work. Um integralbecoming.com is my uh website and uh if anybody wants to just chat about what resources they might be able to find that are close to them, I'm happy to uh, at no charge, have that kind of conversation or talk about the work that I do with my clients remotely or in person. Um, uh, there are all sorts of wonderful uh, books that really point at this. Hmm. Um, uh, New Self, New World uh, uh, is, is one. Uh, I love uh, Michael Singer's um, uh, most recent book, uh, the Untethered, uh, Living Untethered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's his third book and uh my favorite of the three he's written um and many many others have influenced me over the years that kind of point at this but but to not get caught up in thinking you can teach it with your brain Mm. it's Mm. practice practice Mm. practice Mm. it's like how do you get to carnegie hall you practice 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 take up a practice or examine my my own sense keith is that everybody in the world has a practice and it and one might even call it a spiritual practice and they and even the atheists um uh all you have to do is ask uh, how do you spend your time mm-hmm. what do you do with your body uh what do you care about how do you know what's true and you can reveal a whole uh what mm-hmm. i would call a spiritual world even for those who don't rec- uh, recognize it that way um and mm-hmm. and i can i think if people just examine well how do i spend my time how do i eat what do i eat mm-hmm um uh, what do i what do i put my attention mm-hmm. through most of the day mm-hmm. that's probably your practice
1: beautiful mm-hmm. beautiful so uh you know uh, move a muscle change a thought go ahead and uh, uh check out some of the resources that uh tom ronan goddard has put together dr goddard and uh i think that uh you know you're a beautiful man uh tom and i really deeply appreciate our friendship I appreciate you being here, and uh, there's so much more to unpack, and I hope we can do that. And we forward. Thank you.
0: I love it, uh, Keith. It's a, I consider you a dear friend, and have always been inspired by you, and have re- really been loving your podcast all uh, I, I, since you put it out. Uh, About 60, 64 episodes now so far. This is uh, it's a real contribution to the world, and I'm so delighted that you're doing it. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We have other exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. For more mindfulness tips and tricks, visit our website at workmindfulness.com. Thanks again for being a part of the Mindfulness Experience. This is Keith Fiveson.